Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And he gets very descriptive with it. His father writes the book. He journals and chronicles his journey into heaven. But then not long ago, he comes out as a grown-up and he says he never had the vision. He said he never had the vision. He said that, in fact, the publishers, they went ahead and they pulled all the books off the bookshelves, Tyndale Publishers. They just removed every book because he comes out openly and he recants his vision. And here's what he said. He said, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. You know what? There are so many people that read books of visions of heaven and about heaven, they don't read the Bible itself. And the Bible gets very descriptive. If you want a descriptive understanding of what heaven is and what God's throne looks like, read the Bible. Don't take anybody's word for it. Like I said, I don't want to judge that. But so many of these visions are so different than what God records in His Word. Paul was forbidden to write down what he saw in heaven. And John's permitted to write down what he saw in heaven. And this incredible scene of of heaven, and it says that not only is God's throne in heaven, but it is set in heaven. It is set in heaven, that it is permanent. It is in contrast of every ruler of this world. It is in direct opposition of every ruler of this world, because every ruler's throne is temporary. It is never set. God's throne is the highest throne in heaven, and He's worthy of worship for that. It is the highest throne. It is the throne that carries the most authority. It is set in heaven. It is set in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar in all of his glory in the kingdom of Babylon, his throne is gone. Alexander the Great, when he conquered all those lands and territories and conquered what people said was the known world at that time, and he dies at the age of 33 or something, that his throne is no more. His throne is no more. But God's is permanent. God's is immovable. It is unshakable. I'm glad I serve the living God who will never be demoted and can't be promoted. Because he is it. He is it. He's the highest. There is no one who has higher authority than the Lord. And God asks us to receive this in faith. That's why Christians are being persecuted right now. The whole reason why they're being slaughtered is because they will not bow to any other authority. They realize that God's throne is the highest throne and He is the ultimate authority and every Christian needs to buy into that. You have to buy into that. Notice the description of God's throne. And as we move into the description of God's throne, the best way to organize it, if you're taking notes, is on the throne, around the throne, 
from the throne, before the throne, and in the midst of and around the throne. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> it will. <laughs> First of all, let's look at on the throne. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit. John was caught up in the Spirit, not bodily. He was caught up in the Spirit when he was given this vision. And behold, the throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. One sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So the first thing we see is one who sits on the throne. And that's the first thing that comes to John's attention about the throne. It is God's glory. God's glory overshadows everything else. When John is caught up into heaven, all he sees is the glory of God. And he describes God with precious stones because John has to use vocabulary that is only in his vocabulary capacity. I mean, how does a kindergartner describe Niagara Falls? How does a kindergarten describe Yosemite Park? How does a kindergarten describe the crashing waves on Coronado Island? I mean, they've got to be limited to their vocabulary. And so here's John. He's describing a vision of God, and he describes God with precious stones. He describes him as a jasper. This was a clear, crystal-like stone, which would be equivalent to our diamond today. In fact, we would probably call it a diamond today. It was clear, and it was crystal, and it had faucets. It radiated the light. The second stone was a sardius. It was red and ruby-like. And the question is, what do, what do these stones mean? Here you've got a diamond-like stone and you've got a red ruby-like stone. And what do they mean? Why does John see that? Why does he see that? Why are those the two particular stones that he sees? And there's been people that have conjectured that, that maybe it's speaking of God's purity and maybe it's speaking of his judgment because what he's getting to do, getting ready to do, is to impose judgment on the world that has rejected him. And so they say that the jasper, the diamond-like stone, reflects his purity and his holiness, and the sardius stone, the red stone, the ruby-like stone, reflects his judgment, fiery judgment. There's others that believe that it reflects the redemptive work of God because God is all holy. You cannot approach Him on your own. And He provided you with the one means to come to Him, and that was through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the jasper reflecting His holiness and purity, the sardius stone, the red ruby-like stone reflecting His redemptive work. But I think it's more than that. I think it's highlighting Jesus Christ himself. Because in the Old Testament, the high priest, he wore a breastplate. And on his breastplate were 12 stones representing the 12 stones of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he would go before God and he would bear them on his chest. He would represent them to God. And the first stone was the jasper stone and the last stone was the sardius stone. The first stone represented the oldest born child, which was Reuben, which meant, behold, a son. The last stone representing the youngest born son was Benjamin, and that meant the son of my right hand. So when you take those two stones and include everything in between, 
You've got, behold, the Son, the Son of my right hand. And I really believe it's highlighting Jesus Christ that God is putting His own Son on display in heaven. One thing's for sure, whatever it means, God's glory and majesty is on display in heaven. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God is majestic. We, we use that word awesome so loosely, don't we? If you have a double-double at in and out. It was awesome. <laughs> you're married to an awesome person. <laughs> Men, you're supposed to say amen. I give you these opportunities to score points with your wives, and what do you do? <laughs> you know, so we use this word, but, but God really is awesome when we, we see the majesty in the beauty of God Himself, as John has this vision, we could look in this fourth chapter and, and he's trying to describe God as best he can and all he can do is like, like, like. It's similar like, but I don't have any other words to describe Him. So that's on the throne. Now around the throne, there's two things. There's two things. There's a rainbow. Look at verse 3, the end of verse 3. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The rainbow reminds us of God's grace and mercy. God, after He had wiped out the world with a flood because it became so evil and so wicked that He couldn't strive with man no longer, He sent a worldwide flood and it wiped out all flesh on the earth. And after He was done with that, He put a rainbow. And it is a reminder of God's grace and mercy because He made a promise He's not going to wipe out the world again by a flood. So every time it rains, I don't care how many inches, you're going to see a rainbow because He will never wipe out the world again by a worldwide flood. The LGBT has hijacked this symbol. They have hijacked the symbol, so when you ask our younger generation, what does a rainbow mean to you? They say gay pride. And gays never, ever invented that. God did. He created the rainbow and He implemented it for you and me to remind us of a, His grace and mercy. And I think of just the irony of the LGBT hijacking that symbol because it speaks of God's grace and mercy. And that tells you and I that we shouldn't be hateful towards them. We should, we should remind them, hey, God set the rainbow in place because it is a reminder of His grace and mercy. And if you repent today and turn to Him, you can be saved. Around the throne, there's also 24 elders. Around the throne, verse 4, were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And the question again is, who were the elders? Because this has been the subject of much debate and we know this much that they're a representative group because there's 24 in the Old Testament. There were 24 shifts of priests. There were 24 that would represent the rest of the priests. There were thousands of priests. So we know that this is a representative group of some 
sort. But the question is, who do they represent? Who do these 24 represent? And so some people say that they're angels, that these are angels around the throne of God. And they can't possibly be angels because angels were never in a position of rulership. They're always in subordination to the direction of God, to the direction of God. God guides and directs and fulfills his plans through the use of angels. They're never seen in Scripture as in a position where they're ruling. So they're not angels. They're they're not angels. The term elder is used in the Old Testament of human beings that ruled God's people. So there were elders that ruled the nation of Israel. Uh, in the New Testament, we see elders term used again. This word is used of those who ruled the church, those who ruled the church. So in the Old Testament, we see elders ruling God's people. And in the New Testament, we see elders ruling God's people the church. So they're also wearing white robes. What are the white robes? Yeah, angels wear white robes, but in the context, it's more fitting, at least in the immediate context, that it's speaking about believers. In chapter 3, verse 5, when Chris covered that, it spoke of the believers that they would be clothed in white. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb in chapter 19, verse 8, all the believers are there. The church is wearing white garments there. And the white symbolizes the righteousness which comes from Christ. You cannot be righteous on your, your own. There's nothing you can do before a holy God that can get you righteous and in right standing. So God imputes, He puts His righteousness on you the minute you place faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross because your sins are forgiven completely and you are now justified and made right with God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So I believe the best answer is that these 24 elders that are around the throne represent God's faithful people in the Old Testament, God's faithful people in the New Testament. In Revelation 21, it says that the name of the 12 patriarchs are of the Old Testament are on the gates of the city wall, the New Jerusalem. You got the 12 patriarchs named there at the gates. And then it says in Revelation 21 also that the foundations, each foundation has the name of the 12 apostles there. So I believe what it's speaking about is God's faithful people through the years. The Old Testament believers, because they could get saved the same way by placing their faith in Christ, I mean in God, believing His Word. It was accounted to Abraham as righteousness when he believed God. And those sins were only on layaway until Jesus died on the cross. Then they were washed away completely. And if you're here today, you're part of the New Testament church, you've made a commitment to Christ, so are your sins washed away. So this is a representative group. They're wearing golden crowns. They're wearing golden crowns. They're not just wearing white robes, but they're wearing golden crowns. In Revelation, there's two kinds of crowns. There's the Greek Stephanos, and the other word was diadem. So there's two words used for crown. The elders are wearing Stephanus, which is the victor's wreath that speaks of those who contended in games, who competed in games, who struggled in games, and they won. They got the victor's crown. And that's the kind of crown it's speaking of here. So it's speaking of people who have struggled, who have suffered, who have gone through 
something and they've gained the victory. And that makes sense because the church here, God has made no bones about it in his Bible that God's people are going to suffer. The crowns are also made of gold, imperishable, indicating that the elders have been rewarded for their victory. So so they're representing the church. One of the promises that God makes to you and me, and this is an amazing promise. I can't even believe it. I can't even fathom it sometimes. I can believe it, but I can't. How do you understand it? But one of the promises that we will rule and reign with him. Because you've obtained victory here and because you've overcome, he is going to grant you the right to rule and reign with him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, listen to these words, 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're a king. If you want to get gender on me, then turn to a lady and say, man, woman, you're a queen. So here, here around the throne are 24 elders. I want you to see this picture because God's throne is in the middle. They go around the throne, meaning that God is center. God is central. And that is so important because God is the center. If he's not the center of your life, We talk about God being on the throne of our hearts. Is He really on the throne of your hearts? Is He really center in your life? Because in heaven, this picture, He is the center of the entire universe. Okay, so from the throne, verse 5, we see, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. So this is proceeding from the throne. What's coming from the throne? Lightnings. And thunderings and voices, these are always linked to God's presence. Whenever you see lightnings and thunders, many times it's linked to the presence of God. In the Old Testament, when God delivers his people from Egypt, from slavery, and they're coming through the wilderness, and he brings them to Mount Sinai, his first appearance to him, they grab Moses, grab the elders, all of the nation of Israel can see this light show going on. And there's these thunderings and lightnings that are taking place. Right off the bat, God makes His presence known like that. I don't know if you've ever seen a summer storm before where the sky is filled with lightning and you hear these loud thunders. When I was little, I remember being scared. And I would have to go sleep with my parents. And then when I was 24 years old, they said, son, you're going to have to start sleeping on your own. (laughs) But this is amazing when you think about the presence of God. And listen to me. The thunderings and lightnings are not just linked to the presence of God, but they're linked to the judgments of God. We see this in the book of Revelation in chapter 8, verse 5, in chapter 11, verse 19, in chapter 16 and verse 18, when God is pouring out, unleashing judgment in those passages, there's lightnings and thunderings that are taking place. And here in chapter 4, it is telling you and me something that God is getting ready to unleash judgment. He is preparing for this. And that's why as a believer and you're undergoing suffering and you're undergoing unrighteous persecution in this world, you need to understand you have to have patience. God is going to take care of business. Trust me. 
The voices that are there around the throne with the lightnings and thunderings could be the discussion that's pertaining directly to God unleashing His judgment beginning in chapter 6. It's, there's some sort of discussion. I don't know what it is. He's here, John is hearing voices. I don't know if it's something along the lines that Paul had heard and was forbidden to write about it, but he hears these voices. And these voices are discussing something, and God always has a, a plan. Now we see before the throne, we see two things. Before the throne, before the throne, that was from the throne. Now before the throne, we see the Holy Spirit, and we see that at the end of Verse 5, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. We covered this. It's the same terminology that's used in chapter 1. It's speaking of the sevenfold spirit of God. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, verse 2 primarily. But what I think it's speaking of when it uses those terms is the completeness, the fullness that seven in the Bible is used as a number for completeness, for fullness. And it's speaking of that. These, these seven lamps is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is invisible. Some call Him the invisible man. He's invisible until, unless He manifests. We see that at the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit descends from heaven. They see the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven as a dove. He looks like a dove. He descends upon Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we see another manifestation of the Holy Spirit. A rushing wind comes in and there's tongues of fire that are resting on the believers there. And it's when the fullness of the Holy Spirit was unleashed at the day of Pentecost. Everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. Could be judgment. Fire is used as a symbol of judgment in the Bible. And so before the throne, we see the Holy Spirit. We also see the sea of glass, verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Crystal was very rare in that day. It was of the most expensive. And I, I don't think there's any other meaning than this, that God's throne is majestic. That it's, it, John pictures it as sitting on, on this, this sea of glass. This sea of glass is there and, you know, I've seen movies before. I've never been in the king's presence or a queen's presence before. But when you walk in to their little throne room, you're walking on marble floor or something. And the idea is the beauty. You're supposed to be awestruck as you enter into the presence of the king. Here, John describes it in the most beautiful way as the throne sitting on a glass is crystal. And finally, we have in the midst of and around the throne, verses 6 and 7, the four living creatures were around the throne. There were four living creatures in the midst of the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front of and in back of. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like a living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. So John sees these incredible beings, these visions, is similar to what Isaiah saw in chapter 6, Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. You can read those later. But the description here is, is amazing. They're described like a lion. One is described like being like a lion, one like a calf. A more accurate translation is an ox. One had a face like a man, and one was like a flying evil. Some believe that this represents 
the four gospels as Jesus was pictured differently in the four gospels. The early church fathers were the first ones to interpret them this way. The lion representing Jesus as king as he is in the gospel of Matthew. The calf or the ox represents Jesus as the servant like he's presented in the gospel of Mark. And then we see the face of a man uh, represents Jesus' humanity like Luke presented him. And then the flying eagle represents Jesus' divinity, God in the flesh. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.